0: Welcome everyone to this wonderful episode of Awaken the Possibilities. I'm your host Terry Wilderman. I love bringing spectacular guests to you that have phenomenal stories. And tonight, today, tonight, whatever time it is that you are listening to this is no exception. My guest today is going to share how her health issues have led to some phenomenal, phenomenal experiences. And I'll tell you, this woman is a rock star. I loved speaking with her. We did a little 15 minute, which turned into, I think, an hour and 90 minutes, (laughs) 90 minute chat uh, before the show uh, a few weeks ago. And it was like, I couldn't wait to bring her on. So allow me to introduce you to the amazing Gina Gardner. She is a number one international best-selling author, a motivational speaker, empowerment coach, and transformational leadership trainer with well over 30 years of experience helping people experience happiness, success, and fulfillment. She's the founder of the Thrive Together Tribe, membership and personal and spiritual development program, and the Enlightened leadership program. Gina has had to learn to walk twice, not once, twice as an adult. For over 20 years, she ran her award-winning school, for the most part, from a wheelchair. The gift of this experience was the development of a unique approach to life and the development of transformational leadership. Gina is passionate about supporting people to live a truly happy, successful, and fulfilling life and supporting leaders to become the spiritual matriarchs and patriarchs who lead with integrity, compassion, and the courage to do what is right rather than what is expedient. Welcome to the show, Gina.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, I am too, because you are quite an extraordinary person. And we share the love of leadership. We share the love of helping people evolve. We share the love of being able to work through things and look at them with blue sky perspective instead of the cloud perspective. So, Gina, I would love for you to share with folks what you shared with me in terms of what got you to where you are right
1: now. Well, thank you. Um, It wasn't until I started uh, work at the age of 21 that I really felt as if I'd found who I was. Um, And I started teaching. I was good at it and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was promoted very quickly. And so age 28, I became the deputy principal of the largest. And I think in America, the equivalent would be junior high school. Mm -hmm. And I was promoted to be the catalyst for change. I was the youngest bar two on the staff, and the the school was very much stuck in in the dark ages. Uh, And I enjoyed working with my principal. uh, But by the February half term, halfway through the year, we have a week's holiday. And I was really pleased to get to the week's holiday and off I went skiing, which uh, I was really keen to do. I was a good skier. But in those days, the fashion was to have the longest skis possible. And I'd been convinced by the guy in the shop to buy a pair of skis that were 10 centimeters longer than I was used to. So uh, with my friends, who were all excellent skiers, I found for the most part in the week, I was tail end Charlie, because I kept wrapping that extra 10 centimeters round one another. And on the Thursday, I had quite a bad fall. So I said to my friends, Um, I'm not going to ski with you tomorrow morning. I'm going to go and get my confidence back because it was the last day of the holiday. Joined them for lunch and they said, We found this fabulous new run. Come and join us. And so I did. It was a beautiful day, the sort of day that you see in the mountains where the sun was shining and the the snow was glistening. It was just exquisite. So as we went up on the chairlift, you saw the valley disappearing below. It was just a day of such beauty. Got off the chairlift, followed them. We went round a corner, they stopped. I caught them up and it was pretty evident we weren't where they thought they were supposed to be. So instead of being on a six kilometer red run, we were at the top of the Schindlergratz, which is the most difficult black run in St. Anton. Wow. Full of moguls. Now, for the people who don't know what a mogul is, it's where the snow is being carved out by the weather, and they're often a couple of inches. But these were six-foot monsters. It was a very steep, very long slope, and the only way to negotiate it, and there was no other way back, was to to ski and then, on top of a mogul, turn and and slide down, and then ski along and do that moving across the, the mountain. I skied the first third, and then I had a, a quite a significant fall uh, because i left it too late to turn. And it took me about 20 minutes to retrieve my ski and to join my friends who were each sitting on a mogul, rather like an elf sitting on a, a mushroom. Quite uh, a visualization. <laughs> How many of them were there? Uh, we were five altogether.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so I took my skis off and I sat on my mushroom, my mogul um, and we were just chatting and as I say it was a beautiful day uh, and suddenly the top of my mogul gave way and there was nowhere to land so I just bounced and rotated and all I remember is hearing a scream um, and then some time later I came to further down the mountain. I'm told by my friends and by other people who saw the fall, it was between 150 and 200 feet. Fortunately, I didn't have my skis on because I think if I had had my skis on, I probably would have done some dreadful damage. Uh, And I think because I knocked myself out, I was uh, floppy and relaxed and that, that helped me. It took them ages to get down to me but the one good thing about it is with the, the ski, the fall, and then uh, a ski and another fall, I'd managed most of the, the run. And so we were... Oh, that's one way to do it! it. <laughs> I don't recommend it, I have to tell you. <laughs> um, I didn't want the blood wagon, and they, so they helped me back to the hotel. Uh, had a horrendous night and then travelled home the next day. My mum took one look at me and I was carted off to accident and emergency. And they told me that I'd got a a concussion and I'd trapped a nerve in my neck. And it took me about three weeks to get back to school. Fast forward, uh, uh, about four or five weeks and I was the deputy leader on the borough ski party with 150 children. And so off we went and I was allowed to go because we've got medics with us, this time skiing in, in Switzerland. And as the week went on, I became more and more like quasi-modo. I was really struggling to stand upright, and uh, I was finding it more and more difficult. And by the last day, the end of the last day, we got back to the hotel, and I said to my colleagues, I've just got to go and lie down. I just, I've, I'm running on empty. Mm-hmm. And so I went up to my room, and I lay on my bed, and within very, very few minutes, I discovered that I was paralyzed down one side. Now, there were children milling about in the corridor. I didn't want to frighten them. And so I had to wait until an adult came to check on me. I've no idea how long it actually was, but it felt like an eternity. And even as I'm talking about it now, I can feel that sense of panic when, you know, the body that you rely on suddenly won't do what you want eventually somebody arrived and then all hell broke loose and I was carted off to the local hospital and then transferred to Geneva uh, University Hospital and I was there for about a week and by the time um, I was flown home um, I was beginning to get some movement back so it took me until the end of May to get back to school and I wasn't right I was doing school going home going to bed And so I was so relieved to get to the end of the term and think, I've got six weeks now, I can have six weeks rest and recuperation, I'll get myself sorted out for September. 10 days in, very early in the morning, I received a phone call. And my, uh, my principal's wife was on the other end, and she was just hysterical. And she'd found John in bed and he died in his sleep from a massive we found out later a massive heart attack so far from it being the restful holiday that I had hoped for I helped arrange the funeral I had to let the staff the parents the local authority know and then plan for September because I was now acting head and I was appointed the permanent head in the in the January the following January so very young very green, but incredibly determined that I wanted the children and the staff to have the best learning opportunity that I could create. And Gina, that, can, when you say you were very young, I was
0: how 29. It's it? a lot of responsibility at that age.
1: And I'd been the deputy for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was very green, but very determined that I wanted... Everybody, I'd been very unhappy at school, um, and I'd worked for two heads uh, principals prior to John, who was a great principal, but my first two principals taught me how not to, rather than how to, and I was determined that I wanted things to be, um, to be a really great learning environment. Um, and so um my health wasn't great, but I made the decision that it didn't matter how I felt in the morning, I was going to go into school. And, you know, within a, a very short time of being in school, I was so busy and so interested in what I was doing that it actually how I feel first thing in the morning. And still like that. It's like resurrection, not getting up. Um, that I would. Uh, that was no decision. Unless I was in hospital, I would go to school. Now. Um, I started to use a wheelchair to get around school in in um, 1987. Didn't use it in my office or the classrooms, but I couldn't manage. It's quite a big site, and I couldn't manage that. Um, And I managed between um, 1987 and 1996 by using a wheelchair to get around school. But in 1996, just before the summer holidays, I sneezed, and I felt something go in my back. Um, I managed to get to the end of term. This was a couple of weeks before the end of term. And on the last day, I was taking assembly, and I'd got a, a, a chair where I could sit at standing height. Um, and the children had just gone out with their teachers, um, and I found that I couldn't actually put my weight through my legs. Um, so went off to hospital, and I discovered that I'd ruptured a disc. Woke up in the surgery to find that I'd got failed back surgery syndrome. So if I put my left foot to the floor, I just used to faint. Um, oh, wow. And I became a very good stalk. So by now, I had to be completely in a wheelchair. And what I discovered, of course, is I couldn't physically get into my classrooms. I'd struggled before to, um, to spend time on my feet. Um, and, and so... Over the period of time from 1987, I had developed um, or started to develop a way of um, empowering staff, teachers and non-teaching staff, um, which didn't require me micromanaging them because they were taking total responsibility for their own performance and a shared responsibility for everybody else's. Now, it then took me 18 months to walk to the bottom of my very small garden. And I was really pleased to get there by the Easter of not the next year, but the following year. And then fast forward to the last day of term, summer term, school holidays. um, And we had staff do, went out for a meal, came back and I felt unwell and I was sick. And I Mm -hmm. felt something go in my back. And I had ruptured another disc. Again, rushed off to hospital, had an operation and again, failed back surgery syndrome. And so having been able to walk to the end of my garden, I could not stand up. And I was completely wheelchair bound then for many years. And I continued to run my school. But the gift, and it's been a huge gift in in my disability, is that not only did my own school do very well, and we were on the best 100 schools list Not once but twice during my tenure, and I'm extraordinarily proud of that. But we thank you. We became one of the first beacon schools, so worked with dozens of other schools and hundreds of other teachers, teaching them the same strategies, principles, and techniques. I was invited to be an advisor for the government. Um, I worked as a trainer facilitator for the National College of Leadership and the London Institute not all at the same time, but that brought an income into school and we had a very poor budget, but also kept um, everything cutting edge. Sure, Uh,
0: very nice.
1: So now we're 2004 um, and I go to see my neurologist in May, and he gives me an ultimatum. And the ultimatum is stop doing the 14, 15 hour a day that you're doing five and a half days a week because work was great pain control. Or you'll be completely housebound and you won't be able to drive. And I had an adapted car um, with hand controls and an electric wheelchair in the boot. So um, that was a, a huge wake-up call. Wow. And so I made the very difficult decision that I was going to leave Headship of being a principal. Um, and about to at the same time in the, in the later on in the year, I had an internal spinal stimulator fitted. Now, in the UK, going for early retirement um, in the teaching profession normally takes about six months.
0: Right.
1: So with the summer holidays and my application, I timed it because I thought I'll go at Christmas. Um, And so I timed it that my application should go in immediately before the bank holiday. So now, got- can
0: you describe what a bank holiday is? Because some people don't know what oh, that so is. It's
1: like your Labor Day. It's a day where people have time off from work. So okay. um, we historically have the last uh, Monday in August off. Mm-hmm. So my application went in on the Thursday. And by the Tuesday, I had a letter saying, we retired. Uh-huh. I'd planned that what I was going to do and it didn't involve retiring a week after the application had gone in. And so I negotiated with them that I would, um, that I would retire at the end of October. Went in to have a spinal stimulator fitted um, and had terrible um, uh, uh, complications. And I actually came out of school in November. Um, I thought, mm. what now? I'm not ready for daytime television. I mean, even after after the spinal operations, I was back at school four days later. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Because if I was at home, all I could do was read or watch telly. I couldn't make a cup of tea if somebody hadn't filled the kettle and left a cup out. Mm -hmm. And so I was used to being busy. I was used to being involved in something that I loved and I did well. And so there in November, I am left with what do I do now? So I decided to do a research project because my belief was that leadership was the same whether you were in local government or finance or retail or manufacturing, um, health. Um, and so I did, my first, uh, did a research project and found, of course, the same issues face whichever industry you're in because you're talking sure. about people. And I wrote my first couple of books to be my calling card. Um, And to start with, I worked uh, mainly in corporates. I've always done life coaching um, and some relationship coaching. And I did that until the last recession. And then in a week, all of my contracts went. And so I had to reinvent Uh, myself yet again. By this time, I was doing some work for Essex University Business School. And they would commission me to go out um, to work with businesses uh, to do some training or some troubleshooting. And I kept being invited back. And so I started to work with companies on a, a consistent basis, um, always with the senior decision makers, and I still do that today.
0: Excellent. And how? So how many years have you been doing that?
1: I've been doing that since two thousand and the very beginning of two thousand and nine.
0: Very nice. And that two thousand nine was when the um, everything fell apart financially. So you were very fortunate.
1: Well, within one week, contracts which I'd had that were supposed to last all year just disappeared.
0: Yeah, just disappeared, I know. I, I closed my centre in 2009. Yeah. I remember that very clearly. Yeah. yeah, it was an intense time.
1: But I had a growing sense that I my purpose was something more, that there were so many people unhappy, yeah. so many people stressed. And I worked with not only leaders who were stressed, but leaders, but, but people who were, you know, be, part of an organization where the leaders were fairly toxic and so I set up genuinely you and um, have since written a couple more books and the whole um, the whole purpose of that is to raise the quality of leadership in people's lives you are the leader in your own life you're the common denominator uh, but also to raise the quality of leadership in organizations and so I have this excellent. Situation. Um,
0: so I'm curious, Gina, yes. would you say that your disability mm-hmm. was actually a gift? I
1: would say that, yes.
0: Okay. In what way?
1: I'd like to think that I would have developed the same approach to empowering other people and giving them the responsibility to be the leaders of their own lives and their and the arbiters of, of what's quality. Um. But I'm honest enough to know that I'd probably been too interfering, that I'd have been. <laughs> now, that's not why I just said, go and get on with it. What I was able to do is to create within the organization a shared language. So when we talked about excellence, everybody knew what excellence looked like in the context of, of this or that, um, that I set up a a train, it didn't start off as a structured sequential training program, serendipity. um, Each of the levels of the training program were created out of a, a, a need, but I think perhaps the biggest thing for me is my nickname before all of this was Tigger. I had endless energy and used to bounce about. And I think that what the disability did is it made me take a step or a seat back to be quiet, Mm -hmm. to start to use my inner voice, my intuition. And I, I honestly think I'd have been too busy and too noisy to have ever heard it.
0: Isn't that fascinating how listening to your intuition has helped you move forward?
1: I think it's been hugely instrumental. I mean, nice. at, at so many levels, you know, is this the right person to come and join me? And I was very clear right. about the sort of person. Is this the right thing to do? And there were times that I was a maverick. So they introduced, for example, the Literacy Hour in the UK. Mm-hmm. And i it was doing everything opposite to what I believed in. And so my intuition said, don't do it. It also said, don't just don't just not do it so I've applied for formal disapplication now people said to me what are you doing that for and I said because it's the right thing to do so I invited the authorities in to say look at what we're doing we've just had an inspection which said it's exemplary why would we do what you're suggesting interestingly two years later they turned it on their head and they started doing what we were doing anyway there you go <laughs> oh, that inner voice said it's not right you need to do something different and you need to do something formally in order to ensure that the schools right. and that was down to my in, in, my intuition that inner voice that just kept that that little nag going
0: well congratulations for listening to it because as you know intuition is key to successful leadership
1: I believe it is. It
0: it truly, truly is. So I'm curious. Uh, There are a few questions that I'd love to ask my guests. Okay. And the first one is, what is your favorite word?
1: Empowerment.
0: Mm, Why is that so important to you?
1: Because it encapsulates everything that... I do, that I'm about, it's, if you cut my arm off, it's a bit of, I don't know if Brighton Rock is a reference that you'd understand, but if you go to the seaside at Brighton or any seaside place in the UK, they have sticks of, of, of um, peppermint sweet, and then written yeah. through them, it will say Brighton Rock or Clacton Rock. And so I think you know, the, the, the purpose of empowering others to step into their genuine power, is who I am and it's what I do.
0: Nice, 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 nice. And what is your personal definition of success?
1: To make a positive difference to to other people's lives and to do that in a way where there's no dependency model, that they're truly are able to fly.
0: Nice.
1: I can do that. Whether I'm talking about an individual or a couple, or a team or a whole organization and you know, very specifically with leaders that I can empower them to recognize and to nurture the potential of others and empower them, then I've truly done what I'm about.
0: Nice. Very, very nice. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I'm curious, what is your absolute best advice for entrepreneurs and leaders?
1: You are the common denominator that you take into every moment of every day. So your mindset, the quality of your thoughts is really important. 95% of our thinking is habitual. So if you think I will fail, it's a completely and utterly done deal. And most people who believe that they will fail don't even get started. If you believe you might fail you're gonna make very different decisions to the belief, I will succeed. Now, it doesn't mean you've gotta know how you're gonna do every bit of it to start with, but if you go into something with the mindset that I will succeed, and I've got the resilience, determination, and persistence to do what it needs to succeed, then just as the I will fail is a done deal, I will succeed, and I will do what it takes to get there, is a mindset that makes it much, much more likely that you will succeed and succeed in a sustained way. And the the other thing I would say is that you, the relationship you have with you is absolutely imperative, because every relationship you have is a is a reflection of the relationship you have with yourself. And so it, it makes sense to you know be your own best friend. You know have high standards, but don't beat yourself up, you know, and I suppose the last thing was that if you're waiting for it to be perfect, you'll wait forever.
0: So you will wait forever.
1: Be good enough and then work on refining it once you get going.
0: There you go. So when you hear me say the words, awaken the possibilities, what comes up for you?
1: Well, for me, it's, it's just like the sunshine coming out. For me, Awaken the Possibilities is the difference between having a door locked and bolted and having a door ajar and being prepared to be open to what's on the other side of that door. Having the courage to peep round and to take a step out of your comfort zone because you know the possibilities are endless and the only thing that's going to get in the way is you.
0: Nice. Thank you so very, very <laughs> much. Eugenia. tell me, where can people get a hold of you?
1: So um, they can get a hold of me on the websites genuinely and the word you.com. That's genuinely you.com. Or um, if you're interested in leadership, go to enlightenedleadership.co. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, genuinely you on Facebook. Um, or you can email me at gina at genuinely you.com. Well,
0: Gina, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story today with the Awaken the Possibilities audience. It truly is a testament to focus, determination and listening to intuition your leadership is spectacular and i'm sure the influence that you had over those teachers and those children is absolutely amazing and it was, and it is probably propelling them at this very moment in everything that they do so again thank you so very very much for being here and to my awaken the possibilities audience i'm terry Wilderman. you know where to find me at intuitiveleadership.com and you can watch this show and all of our other shows at awakenthepossibilities.com you can also find us on itunes soundcloud and on acast if you go to "Awaken the possibilities you will see I think we have 10 different platforms that you can listen to and you can watch the video on YouTube. So we look forward to bringing you more guests that are absolutely fantastic that help you awaken the possibilities in business and life. I'm Terry Wilderman, and I look forward to seeing you next time.